happiness is never going to be outside of ourselves, you know? Mm-hmm. I was, and I still, I still am like this because it's such, it's how our whole society is. We're always like, oh, if I just get this many followers, like, then I'll be successful. Mm-hmm. But it's never been like that. Like, you always, you get to those benchmarks and you're always like, wait a minute, this isn't this making isn't me as I happy thought. as I thought it would be, you know? For sure. And I realized, like, no, like that, you know, that's when I was known was, was coming to save me. No crown, no promotion, no job, no boy, no girl. Like, nobody was going to make me feel better about myself. The only person who could do that was me. Welcome back to the Almond Pod. I am your host, Tyler Bender, and today I am with Miss Rachel Slauson. Hello. She is one of the most impressive people ever basically you have the craziest story you have the most stacked resume and you're just such an impressive person i mean you've done it all from this usa to an acting career to a freaking ted talk that by the way it made me cry i watched the whole thing i cried i sobbed i sobbed it was so good so yeah i'm so excited to be here with you i'm so excited the obsession is more than mutual i've been watching your tiktoks forever they still make me laugh i just showed my boyfriend them today we were cracking up oh my gosh i'm honored i'm honored honored. (laughs) i want to just talk to you about First off, give us a little bit of your background and how you got to where you are today. Because this story, I'm sorry to give you such a broad question, but <laughs> like, this story is Which trip insane. to the psych ward do you want to start with? <laughs> it was 1995. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you grew up You grew up here in Draper, right? I, so I moved to Utah in high school, and I right. moved to Provo with my mom. So wow, what the, made you move here? My parents split up, uh-huh. and both my mom and I were kind of ready for a change, and just the cost of living was better. And at the time, my whole family was Mormon. I was Mormon, so mm-hmm. it was like... Utah made the sense. Mecca, yeah, right. Just go back to the mothership. I was um, at BYU, and I decided, mm-hmm. kind of last minute, to move to LA. I'd always wow. wanted to be in entertainment, to be an uh. actor, actress. Um, so I up and moved, literally like the most spontaneous thing ever. Gosh. And it was around that time that I started like questioning the church, and you know, moving to LA will make you question a lot of things about yourself. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, that was around that time. But I think that was also around when I started pageants, ish. Like I kind oh, of wow. all happened at once. Okay, because that um, is a good way to segue into the entertainment industry. Yeah, well, that's kind of how I always saw it, as like uh-huh. a launch pad, because breaking into entertainment, at least back then, was so hard. Now you can just get on your phone and <laughs> be talented. <laughs> be an idiot with a TikTok. Yeah, and it works. Yeah, facts. But back then, it was like so hard to imagine having a platform or something like that. So right. I say back then like it was like 20 years ago, but... This was like what, five like years ago? This was like five years ago, yeah. Okay, but this is amazing. I want to hear more. Yeah, so that's where pa- pageantry started when I was about 19 years old, and it just okay. was a whim... I saw Miss Utah USA at the time, and I had a crush on her, so I was like, (laughs) I want to be her when I grow up. Wait, Kate, when did you, were you, like, openly uh, LGBTQ at that point? Mm -mm. I mean, I was inwardly. Like, Mm -hmm. I I was attracted to girls since I was a kid. I was attracted to girls before I was attracted to boys, actually. Oh, okay. Wow. But I didn't come out until I think I was, like, 23. Wow, so this was very recently. I'm 28 now, so... That was still pretty fresh. Yeah, pretty fresh. That's crazy. Yeah. So you competed in Miss USA because you had a crush on her? I love that. That's such a good story. Honestly. <laughs> I mean, it, that was the beginning of why I signed up for pageants. It uh-huh. took me seven years after that point to actually win. So it wasn't like I went with her, but yeah. So I had a pretty bad mental breakdown when I was 23, and I won when I was 25. And I spent oh, those no. two years like literally questioning what was real and what wasn't. Now I feel like... I'm here with you. Like, uh-huh. I, I got to figure it out. But totally. I literally thought I was, like, having a hallucination. That's how surprised I was. Wow. Is it weird to compete or even, like, train for competition when you're dealing with that sort of mental illness? Oh, my gosh. I, I probably shouldn't have been. Wait. What is it like? you got to tell me about this. <laughs> yeah. So I I had, like I said, a big mental breakdown when I was 23 years old. It mm-hmm. lasted about a week. I was 
pretty much struggling with delusions and it was it, it was a regular manic episode but also I had some delusions so I was oh, no. I was not in reality people describe being manic as like oh I you know colored my hair I cut off my bangs like mm-hmm. you see that on TikTok like, all TikTok the time manic like, yeah they're like oh my gosh that was my, that was my manic episode I cut yeah. bangs off and I'm like bro I don't think that's quite what it's like like I was talking to aliens oh, no. so that weren't there um and that again that only happened once and it was a time in my life when I was doing a lot of recreational drugs so right. my brain chemistry was just really off to begin with. Yeah, and the drugs was that just part of living in LA and getting to, into that like party? Yeah, entertainment it's pretty scene? hard to avoid drugs. I feel like if you're living in LA, not saying everyone does yeah, it, yeah. but like I was, I had never seen cocaine before in my life, and I've actually never done cocaine. That's why uh-huh. my one claim to fame. It's the one <laughs> drug I didn't do. Uh-huh. But like I saw cocaine the first week I was there, and coming from oh, Utah, wow. I had never even been around anything like harder than weed. Like yeah, no, I, I saw sure. people smoke, but. I never really seen drugs up close. And yeah. I definitely think that the party scene played a role in it. Also, the spiritual community played a huge role in it there. Because wow. I don't know if you're familiar, like Venice has a lot of hippies. And oh, they're all yeah, like, like Crystal Shaw. Yeah, and they're all like, right? do the drugs. It'll expand your consciousness. I've actually heard that living in Denver because it does kind of have the same vibe. Like, yeah. oh, if you do this drug, you'll find yourself. You'll find. And you'll yeah, open and your I mind. was so lost. I had lost oh. my religion, lost my community, was questioning my sexuality, had lost my family. So for me, drugs were like, Okay, I'll try. Yeah, I'll try whatever. One person telling you that's gonna fix everything. Yeah. It's like, okay. How long were you dealing with uh, substance abuse? Would you even I say would, it was abuse? I or would just say use? it was more abuse than uh-huh. addiction. Like I've been really fortunate. I've never struggled with addiction. I don't know what that journey's like, but it was definitely abuse. Like when I was depressed, I would cope by going out and trying to do drugs for sure. And I would say it was about two years of that. Two years of that, and then yeah. What kind of marked the like? I know recovery, of course, isn't like linear. But did you have that it moment where you're like, it's done. For, it I'm was done. pretty linear for me. Because That's really incredible. Having that break from reality, I was not on drugs. And basically the best way I can describe it for someone who's never had a manic episode, if they have done drugs, uh-huh. is like, think of like a bad trip. Like if you've ever maybe even smoked pot and it like doesn't go well. Uh-huh. Or if you've ever done a psychedelic and it doesn't go well. That's what a manic episode for me was like, but I hadn't taken anything. And that was like the scariest thing in the entire world for like your entire reality to be stripped away from you. But I was like nothing. There was nothing I had done that had instigated it. Besides, so you can't even just go back to your head and be like, okay, well, this yeah, will like, wear off. If you're eventually. on a bad trip, you're like, okay, well, okay, I did drugs. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, we've got like, a couple more hours of this, and yeah. I'll knock out, and we'll be fine. Yeah, but it wasn't oh, like no. that, and I, it was the scariest thing I've ever been through because that's basically what happened. Like it was like everything just melting away and having no idea what's real. Um, and so after that point in my life, I pretty much just didn't do drugs again. But essentially, my whole Life changed. Like, my friend group changed. Uh-huh. I stopped partying. I stopped. There were like certain drugs that I've never done since. Like, mm-hmm. Molly, I think, was a big one I was doing at the time. Mm-hmm. And that one, I don't know if you've ever done it. You don't have to say so. But, like, you have, like, the worst crash the next day. Like, it's so bad for your mental health. Like, people that wow. do it are usually, like, depressed, even suicidal the days following. Right? I've heard that. Yeah. So oh that was gosh. one that I never did since. Like, completely okay. cut out. Like, things that I just felt, like, weren't safe for me, I just was done with. How long were you homeless? Um, that's a good question. It's honestly, that chapter of my life is really hard for me to remember because I was just not all the way there. Absolutely. My recollection is about a month mm-hmm. um, before, I think it was about three weeks or so before a friend let me come live in the office, her office building. So that's still technically homeless, but at least I had shelter. Right. Um, and then I was only there for maybe a week before basically like a complete stranger let me come and live in his guest house. And like oh, in wow. L.A. that could have been such a bad situation. Such a bad situation. But that's it terrifying. ended up being like someone who's been a lifelong friend of mine. Like I got really lucky. Like that's part that's of the reason I still believe in God because mm-hmm. I'm like that was a miracle. That's like, Some sure. things are. Yeah. That's pretty incredible. Yeah. So how did this person find you? 
So his name's Ed. We've been uh-huh. friends for like, I don't know, eight years. I'd met him when I first moved to LA. It was super random. I like ran into him when I first moved there, like one of my first weeks, I think. And he'd mm-hmm. offered me a job. We had this whole email exchange. And then like maybe a year or two later, I ran into him again at a party. And he had, like, again, just invited me to come hang out with him and his friends. Mm-hmm. Like, you'd have to meet him to get the vibe of Ed. It's, like, a hard thing yeah. to explain. But I went to go hang out with his friends. And I don't know how it happened besides, like, I can't say it other than, like, God. Like, literally, it was, like, the second time it's or crazy. the first time we'd ever hung out. And he just was like, do you need a place to stay and let me come stay there? And, again, like, in so many contexts, that could be so dangerous. Uh-huh. But, like, but when you're was, at like, that point, like, what else are you supposed to do? And I just knew, like, I had a feeling because I was oh, looking wow. at places to live that were really unsafe. Like, uh-huh. literally, like, people's attics. Like, it was bad. Oh, no. Like, and I just felt like something, like, was like, okay, no, we're going to uh-huh. push you over here. Um, I got really lucky. And, yeah, I mean, he changed my whole life for sure. Was this year, what year of living in L.A. was this? That's a good question. I want to say three years in. Three years in. So you still spent two more years there? Yeah, that's right. Off and on. I came back a couple times for pageants and stuff, but overall I was there from when I was 21 till I was 25 or 6. What made you come back here? Um, Well, I would come back for chunks of time with pageants and stuff like that, but ultimately I kind of left L.A. um, during COVID, and that was like a big big time. I didn't really want to be there, but then I've since gone back for acting, so I kind of split my time pretty evenly now. Like, I'll go out there for work. Oh, really? Okay, cool. I just don't really, like, have the same desire to be there all the time. No, I'm sure. I like taking breaks. And Utah's such a breath of fresh air to be, like, away from everything. Yeah, I'm honestly, I'm planning to move to Florida by the end of the year. Oh, really? How come? I'm not a snow girl. Me neither. I want, like, peaceful life with sunshine. (laughs) That's my vibe. That's your story. I mean, we're, I'm sure we're leaving out some huge pieces of this. <laughs> yeah. But I that's mean, pretty insane. It is it is insane to me thinking how it all happened. And just, yeah. like, when people, like, it, for me, it opened my eyes because growing up, like, I grew up privileged. Like, it's not like I grew up in poverty or not having education. I grew up with, like, every privilege a person can have. I love that you constantly acknowledge that. I think that's so, um, like, a lot of people aren't willing to admit their privilege. <laughs> and I think that really takes a big person to be able to do that and recognize their privilege in the context of their struggle that's huge and I still think it's my privilege that speaks to I mean I again I think there's God involved for sure but mm-hmm. the fact that someone did let me come live with them as a stranger when I was homeless would that happen to every single person probably not you know no like that's yeah. pretty lucky you know that's amazing yeah I mean it, it, it's just privilege it's not even like amazing it's just like everyone has a different advantage in life you know so recognizing the advantages that I do have but that's also what scares me about what happened to me because it's like if it could happen to me it could happen to literally anyone you know what I right. mean right Ugh. Like, people think it's, oh, it's always those people, like, those other people that end up on drugs or homeless, but, like... But it totally could be. But it actually really could be, because there's not, like, that safety net. Like, when you're in high school, there's certain safety nets in place, but mm-hmm. at a certain point, you're kind of on your own. Especially if you're dealing with family issues. Mm-hmm. Your family disowned you, correct? I wouldn't put it like that. Uh-huh. It's not like they were like, remove your name from your past <laughs> Yeah, of course, of course. I don't really know, but, I mean, we definitely had severe issues. Like, my... Mom was more physically abusive growing up. She's not mm-hmm. anymore. She's, like, totally transcended that. But it created a lot of distrust for me to her. Wow. Like, I didn't feel safe being around her. Like, when I was going through all that stuff, I didn't yeah. want to be around her just because, like, I remembered everything that had happened and we mm-hmm. hadn't really moved past it all yet. And my dad, I mean, I wouldn't know. I don't know if disowned is the right word, but I would just say more, like, abandoned. Like, mm-hmm. when I was homeless, I had asked to come live with him, and he said no because he had a new baby coming, like, uh, the same month, basically. Oh, wow. And he was like, we, we don't want to deal with that while we're having, like, a new kid. Which, to no me, is, like, way. it's not disowned. It's not like they were, like, never talk to us again. But that's a pretty big middle finger. Yeah, I mean, it's like, you maybe, fi- maybe figure out what happened with the first kid before you make more. <laughs> um, <laughs> stop it right now. 
That's so bad. But we can laugh through the yeah. pain. <laughs> Figure out what went wrong here and then try again. Period. Did you tell him that? Um, yeah. I mean, I did. I mean, my baby sister's so cute. So it's like, Aww. she's perfect. So That's I, good. I'm glad that she's like happy and healthy and you know, she's just a baby. Like, it's not like they're like any of my sister's fault for what happened. But it definitely was really hard finding out that my dad was having more girls and all of that when I didn't grow up with him around. You uh-huh. know, it's like, maybe go back. <laughs> maybe rewind a little bit. Yeah, I, I actually think a lot of people have gone through a similar circumstance oh, sure. with, like, remarried parents. How have you been able to deal with that? How would you recommend people try and cope with that? That's a good question. I mean, I do feel like I'm at peace now, mm-hmm. um, but I definitely went through a lot of stages of grief it's over grief. it. grief. Yeah. Seriously. I think that's where a lot of my self-esteem issues came from. There's mm-hmm. other things that have affected that, but feeling like your own parents didn't want you or didn't choose you mm-hmm. or didn't value you enough, I think that's probably what most people go through when they're in that situation. Like, if you see yourself essentially being replaced as yeah. like, okay, well, we messed it up with you, so going to just go try again. Yeah, you know, that, it's that, hard to not feel that way. It, it leaves you feeling discarded and valueless and all those mm-hmm. things. But I honestly don't know. The only thing I can say is just like forgiveness and compassion and unconditional love. And I know that's easier said than done. Um, I think you can't also – you can't have those things without also having a lot of grief. Like I had to grieve the fact that I'm never going to have the – or at least – I mean, miracles could happen, but I'm never going to at least be able to get those years back that I would want Mm -hmm. with my family, you know? There really is something to letting yourself feel grief because I think a lot of us just try and, like, push it off and be like, no, I'm not sad, I'm not sad. But honestly, sometimes the best thing you can do is, like— Admit that you're sad. Go through all the phases Mm -hmm. and just be okay with it. A hundred percent. And I think that's something that I did. I didn't realize until maybe the last year or two that that's Mm -hmm. what it was. I thought it was just depression, and I definitely Mm -hmm. have depression— but I actually had, like, years of grief that I was carrying. Because think about it. Like, when you lose someone you love, there's no timeline on when you get over that. Sometimes no. it's a week. Sometimes it's 10 years, you know? Yeah, of so, course. And there's so many layers to that. It's mm-hmm. not only, like, feeling like you lost a family, but there's so many different complexities to it. That's got to sure. take a long time to process. Especially yeah. because, um, correct me if I'm wrong, part of it was because you came out um, as LGBTQ+, correct? So... Yes and no. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't say that, like, my dad didn't let me come live with him because of that. Maybe. Right. I don't know. Uh-huh. Um, but their reaction was very intense. Like, wow. when I first came out, my mom had told me that she would rather be dead because she failed as a parent. Like, really extreme oh, wow. things. My brother told me I was an embarrassment and a shame to the family. <laughs> Which, honestly, now, like, I feel like we would all laugh about because of how far we've come. Like, oh, okay, that's great. Yeah. That's really nice. Yeah, but at the time, I was, like, it was obviously really devastating. And mm-hmm. I think that's something that... Like, especially being bi, I don't know if you're familiar with this, but when you're bisexual, like, a lot of people, even in the queer community, sometimes don't consider you queer enough. I wanted to get into that. Yeah. I've heard that a lot. Like, especially with queer women or bisexual women, a lot of people 100%. are like, you're just doing it for attention as a party even, trick. Even queer people say that. That's I've the thing. heard that, too. They're like people. fakers. Yeah, they're like, you don't know what we've been through. But it's mm-hmm. like, I know what it's like for my whole family, like, to come out and have my whole family tell me I'm disgusting. So it's like... We have more of the same experiences than you'd think. Mm-hmm. You may have never, you know, sucked a cock, but <laughs> <laughs> we do have stuff in common. <laughs> right. So um, it's, it's horrible because you really can't feel like you truly fit in with Anyone. any one yeah. identity. No. What? How did you come out to your family? Um, that's a good question. I'm pretty sure it was just over the phone, mm-hmm. just a phone call. Wow. I think so. Maybe a text. It was uh-huh. a long time ago, so I don't really remember. Yeah. I don't think it was in person. I know we and had just conversations escalated. in person. Oh, yeah, it escalated. That escalated sure. very quickly. So yeah. I've also seen that you get a lot of comments of people, like, 
basically heckling you for identifying as a bisexual woman, but being in a relationship with a man. What's your take on that? And how do you deal with that kind of hate? Yeah, that honestly, like, that still stinks. Like, there's stuff, mm-hmm. like, you know when you process something, you're like, whatever. You see a hate comment, you're like, I don't care. Uh-huh. Like, people are like, oh, you're going to hell. I'm like, okay. Yeah, talk yeah to, actually, I'll I talk do to have, Jesus about that. Like, I that's do get I'm hate like. comments that I'm like, mm, skip. Yeah. <laughs> like, it doesn't don't affect care. you at all. Yeah, it's like, nice unibrow, Anthony Davis. And I'm you're like, like mm, I have amazing brows. Whatever. Yeah. I'm like, bored. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, try, like, be more creative. But be more creative. When but people say that, that does that's still one that sting. Sticks. Yeah, be, yeah, I don't know why. I think just because I'm still, like, getting my own confidence around that. I think also, like, I maybe just starting to get to a point where I really just don't care uh-huh. because it's really at the end of the day nobody's business. Right, of course but not. I don't. I don't know. I think that's just tough. And I honestly like the honest truth is that I grew up Mormon, so I grew up every single Sunday being shown a picture of a man and a woman. Uh-huh. I don't know if that was your experience, but I was literally shown pictures in church. Like me too. The mental conditioning that's there mm-hmm. is like light years beyond what even the average straight woman just get goes through. You know what yeah. I mean? Like there's so much conditioning that marrying a man is your sole purpose in life. Mm-hmm. That doesn't just go away. Yeah. Just because I'm like women or I'm attracted to women, even like I could 100%, I've been in love with a woman. I've dated women. Like that's all there, but that doesn't mean years of childhood conditioning just exits wow. your exits the chat. Yeah. You know? Absolutely. But if you say that to people, like I've tried to explain that to people and it's framed as like, oh, well, you just secretly like men and you're just saying this. And it's like, well, okay. you can't win. I can't win. You literally can't win. And that's yeah. horrible. So do you think you would ever end up? Um, in a long-term relationship with a woman? I know you said you were... How long was your relationship with a woman? The longest one? Oh, gosh. I mean, the thing is, a lot of the women that I dated were also in the closet. I'm mostly dated bisexual women. Uh Uh-huh. And people are always like, why don't bi women date bi women? I literally do. (laughs) I get that comment a lot, too. I'm like, I literally mostly dated bi women. But a lot of them were still closeted, so it's kind of hard to say how long because it's like... We would have maybe, like, a year-long relationship, but it wouldn't be, like, official. Mm-hmm. Or there'd be times where they'd go and, like, date a guy in between. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. as Well, especially when you're younger, mm-hmm. you're probably dealing with a lot of people that are in a similar phase as you. Everyone is in – everyone I've dated was as insecure and as confused uh-huh. as I was. Wow. Okay. And I think that there's a, probably a point in time where you evolve out of that. Uh-huh. I just happened to meet men before that happened, you know? Like, my right. ex-fiance was a man, and I'm currently dating a man. But Yeah. You kind of just love who you love. Yeah, I mean, honestly, at this point in my life, I think it's a lot less about, like, what, like, who they are. I don't know. It's just, it's more about who they are as a person than their gender to me at this point. Oh, absolutely. I've heard, I think that's so, such a, like, wholesome (laughs) way to say it. And I think that's great. One thing I want to jump into um, is you've done so much advocacy work for the queer community. Um, So through doing that, what do you think are some of the biggest problems that the youth in that community are facing today? That's so tough. I mean, in Utah still, that we're like the highest suicide rate for young queer people. Really? I didn't know that. Like top three states, I think. Wow. It's, I think it's the number one reason people within a certain age bracket are dying is suicide for young people here. And Stop a good majority it. of them are queer. Oh, no. So I would say that's a big part. But I think honestly right now, like right now, there's mm-hmm. just so much anti-trans like content mm-hmm. out there. And it kind of came out of nowhere. Yeah, I I saw it come like overnight. Like it was like a pipeline. It's it's also I feel like there's a reemergence of like like kind of like far right like alpha male content. Oh Have my you gosh. Seen that? Do you think that is like connected somehow? 
I think right now people are so confused as to their identity. I think that's inside of the queer community and outside. Oh, I think no. there's never been a bigger identity war than there is now. Why? And I think that's social media. 100%. You think it's social media? I, I think, think that makes sense. I think it's beautiful how many voices have been amplified, but I right. also think it's confused a lot of people. Oh, because that's fair. Your algorithm tells you something. You're like, well, I never heard that before, but maybe it's true. Oh my gosh! And then you like it, and you get a hundred more, more the same videos, thing, and you're thing. like, maybe this is damn. Maybe this, this is, is real. true. Yeah. This is real. <gasps> I also oh think gosh. like there's a weird thing like this is like this is again like the Mormon in me, uh-huh. like, or LDS but it's like being a woman is a beautiful thing and mm-hmm. and being a man is a beautiful thing and I think sometimes people feel like by people exploring in the middle that mm-hmm. those other uh, other sides are being threatened you know it's like you, people feel like non-binary people are threatening what it means to be a man or a woman but it's I like, have seen this before I I recently saw a TikTok of the there was this like gorgeous queer man modeling for anthropology mm-hmm. in a dress and this lady made this whole TikTok being so mad that like he got to model for anthropology and took away a woman's job and I was like are you serious right now there is one video of a male in anthropology clothing versus the other hundred thousand pictures of women on the website it's one post and you're giving a beautiful queer man a platform to be more feminine I totally get what you're saying about people's identities feeling threatened. I hate that it's so competitive right now. It is very competitive. And I feel like it's in every single community. It's not just one. Like, yeah. Everyone feels threatened. And I feel like, if anything, like people are just, they're just confused. Like, we don't know exactly what it means to be a woman in this day and age because it means something completely different than it meant five, ten years ago. And I think it's a beautiful thing that we're questioning it. I mean, oh, totally. that's what gives people real freedom to express themselves authentically. Uh-huh. But I think that with that questioning, there's people that feel lost, like more lost than ever. You know? Oh, for sure. And you are still dealing with that sense of identity loss, right? Or do you feel like you've found yourself? I would say more. I've, I'm definitely more sure of myself than I've ever been. That's amazing. Do I have it all figured out? No. What are some Absolutely steps not. you've taken to find yourself, especially as an LGBTQ individual? I would say I would I would say trying stuff. Uh huh. Like I actually let myself go date women, you know, and I yeah. really, you know, I knew that I was attracted to them, but mm-hmm. having those experiences, falling in love, having relationships, like that helped me to be sure of that a piece of myself. Yeah. But also, in a way, like I've also learned that that's not just all I am as a person. Like when you come out as the first queer something, which is what I did, first yeah. queer Miss USA contestant. There you go. It literally was my whole identity for a second. Like that's just how I saw myself. That that was like mm-hmm. the most important thing about myself. And as I've gotten older, I'm like, no, that's just a, that's a tiny, tiny piece of the pie. And yeah. yes, like I am bi and yes, I love that piece of myself, but that mm-hmm. is just a tiny piece. And like if I'm in a relationship that's straight appearing, then that's great, too. Like, yeah, it's not wrong or right, even though some people feel like you have to fit into one box. Like you really don't. Yeah. And honestly, incredible. like having relationships with bi women, you start to realize they're like everywhere. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, oh, more, wow. More and they're just are... like quiet about it. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm sure you have to be quiet about it because if you say one thing, you get literally bullied so hard for everything, <laughs> for everything. But there's so many bi women that are in relationships with men. Uh-huh. And maybe and that's because they haven't come out. Maybe that's because they don't feel comfortable. Whatever yeah. it is, they're everywhere. They're everywhere. Dang, that's c- so crazy. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So your advice to young people dealing with um finding themselves, especially as a queer um, person, would just be, like, trying new things? Would you give them any other advice? I would also say, like, don't label yourself. Like, yes, come find an identity. You know, like, for me, finding my identity as a bisexual woman was important. And, yes, like, realizing I had the diagnosis of bipolar mm-hmm. disorder was important. Those are both important chapters of my life, but those are not who I am now. I love that so many of us will get a label for, like, you know— and anything anything ADHD, and just like, and they're like i am adhd it. and they think that's who they are as a person and yeah. it's like no maybe you need to practice meditating more but like that uh-huh. doesn't mean that's who you are as a person i love that 
So I, I would think say that's like, a great message to so many young people today, especially young people on TikTok, mm-hmm. especially young people with social media. Yeah, like, I mean, being a part of the queer community is beautiful. And the mm-hmm. queer people that I've met are part of the reason I'm so sure of myself. They're so amazing. I've met so many bisexual women that have helped me really validate who I am as a person and, and mm-hmm. my unique expression as a person and my unique place in the queer community. And so I'm grateful to be a part of it, uh-huh. but it's not who you are as a person. Your community is not who you are. Just like growing up Mormon, like mm-hmm. we made that so much of part of our lives right? that it's like you have to rediscover yourself when you realize that that's only a piece of the pie. That's not the whole picture. Yeah, that is actually a really interesting dynamic that we're facing a lot lately. Like people making one thing their whole personality. Like mm-hmm. why, are, why are we branding ourselves like freaking Barbie doll toys? <laughs> I think it's also like, again, something that's confusing. And I'm curious your experience as a TikToker because there's such a focus on like you have to be a niche or people won't follow you yeah actually um that is interesting because when i started tiktok i started i'm a theater kid uh, and i started just like posting behind the scenes of like doing a play and then that did decent so i would like and i've had a pretty big background in social media marketing so i kind of know how to like game the system a little bit and i'm obsessed with marketing so like i'd be like okay that works do it grind it out as long as i can and then i went through a phase where i was doing a little bit of everything and the marketer in me is like that doesn't work. You have to be a niche. So then Mm -hmm. I committed to comedy. And I mean, I feel really lucky that I love comedy and I can commit to it really easily. But it is kind of strange to me to be like, am I a comedian now? And especially as an entertainer, you do have to brand yourself. Yeah, absolutely. That is a huge part of our job. So I'm sure you had so many, so much pressure from like your management team or whatever being like, Rachel, you have to say every time you see anybody that you're the first openly gay Miss USA. Honestly, I wish I could. I wish I could blame that on management. Oh no! If you see those TikToks, that was on me. Okay, <laughs> because no, that's okay. Because it was like that was my identity at the time. Right, right. You know? Especially, it's even worse as an entertainer. Because even me now, I'm like, well, I'm the almond mom. That's what I do. Mm-hmm. So it is weird as an entertainer. It's even worse. But like, obviously, there's a problem because literally, just like random eight year olds on the internet are like branding themselves based off of one facet of their identity. Really. Yeah, like there are eight-year-olds on my For You page that are like, I mean, mild example, but they're like, I'm a dancer and that's all I am, mm-hmm. you know? Like their whole page is just one thing and all they wear is dance. I mean, that's a very tame example, but you yeah, know what I mean. Yeah, for sure. Like, it's actually one of the reasons I look up to Megan Fox a lot because uh-huh. everyone knows she's bi. Uh-huh. She's kind of just doing her thing. Okay, I think you know? that's great. She's pretty much only dated men in the public eye and yet nobody uh-huh. really is bothered by it. That's have really you noticed that like nobody cares they're all just happy that well, she's part of the community actually i think people were really really mean to her when really? she was like doing transformers and all that really? kind of stuff and Maybe like I'm jennifer's just... body okay if you look back in like press junkets she was doing people were so mean to her by women have gotten the short end of the stick i mean who are we kidding all women and all queer individuals have probably yeah. gotten the short end of the stick for, for a sure. long 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 time so that being said what do you think we can do to make those uh i don't know like uh scrutinized or isolated individuals feel more welcome more loved that's tough i mean not because they shouldn't be but because we live in a world with so much hatred Mm -hmm. but i would say like what what, what do you mean specifically like minorities or just people in general that are feeling like they're not a part of any community i think especially because it is pride month and i do want to center it on Mm -hmm. the lgbtq plus community how can um we be better allies I think just really like getting to know people on an individual level because Mm -hmm. I, you know what, growing up Mormon, I have a lot of friends and family that are still pretty much in the spectrum of homophobia, you know? Mm -hmm. Does that mean I hate them for that? No. No. 
but doesn't mean that that's a problem. Yes. Uh-huh. And so like the way that I've tried to bridge that is always by being like, hey, but I'm still Rachel. Like everything else you've ever loved about me is still there. And I think that goes both ways where if you're like struggling to love someone, if you don't know how to accept someone, try to just set aside all the things that you judge them for and just get to know them on a personal level because everybody has a story and that story has shaped them into who they are. And if you really understood everyone's story, you'd probably have compassion for who they are now. That's 100% amazing. I love, love, love that. I do think that is a huge thing. Because, like, I can't help but hear your like gentle parenting voice. <laughs> Good job. That's amazing, Rachel. <laughs> I'm so glad you can express your feelings in such a deep way. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That's actually just kind of how I am. That's so funny. <laughs> I, like, being from Utah, nobody ever said this to me, but as soon as I moved to Denver, everybody's like, wow, you're like, you're like a Disney princess. And you I was actually like, are. Really? I, I feel like in Utah, I just felt like I was a girl. <laughs> I thought I was just like a person. So it made it really hard to do stand up in Denver because everybody was like, why is this American girl all talking to me? <laughs> <laughs> it's actually kind of awesome, though. Do you still do stand up? No. <laughs> <laughs> it did not go well for me. <laughs> it's horrible. It's pretty rough. So bad. Have you done stand up? I've done it once, one time. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's about me. And you go up there and you're like, <laughs> this is horrible. It's definitely a, a good confidence building exercise. What? It's a confidence stomping, shitting on, well, flushing down the toilet exercise. But you conquer your fear. That's how pageants are. Pageants reject you like nine times out of ten. Oh my gosh. But I can't imagine you don't care. Like, really? People reject you enough times you eventually don't care. Are you just saying that? No. Or you really didn't care? I really didn't care. The, the year that I won, I really believe that I won because I showed up and I was like, whatever. <laughs> Like, what? did not care. But that is so much work to not care. It took me seven years to get there. <gasps> a long time. Oh, my gosh. How do you tell yourself that you, well, how do you not care if you're, like, doing the most work on earth for this thing? You embarrass yourself enough times that it just, like, you kind of just get used to it. <gasps> what? Okay, yeah. but, like, you had to pay, like, all this money for the dress. You had to pay all this money for the makeup. You had yeah, to, like, get you, your hair done. you do you that for yourself. Out. You do that because you love oh. it. Like, I did that because I genuinely loved it, and I was doing that for me. Wow. So you finished the pageant, and you're like, okay, well, the cool part was just competing. I don't even care if I win. I mean, I was super happy that I won. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. But I was so used to things not working out that way that I got to the point where I picked myself 100%. Because it really only hurts, like, mm-hmm. with, when somebody, like, the reason that it hurts when people are like, well, you date men. I'm like, well, I'm still learning to accept that about myself. Like, mm-hmm. that hurts because I'm still working on that. Right. You know, but when you really have picked yourself 100%, someone else rejecting you, you're like, okay. Wow. So how how many pageants did you have to do until you're like, mm, don't care? Like seven. Seven. And that's the one you won. Yeah. That's amazing. I do think that's, like, actually, when I was auditioning for stuff a lot, a lot, a lot. Finally, it was the time where I was like, I'm just, I don't give a fuck. Whatever. 100%. That's the time I literally, like, had everything fall into place for me. Well, I think part of it, too, is, like, you, we, your brain tells you you're going to die. Like, that's what that fear is. When you're like, I don't want to do stand-up again because I'm going to mess up and it's going to be embarrassing and I'll die. Uh-huh. But then you embarrass yourself enough times and you don't die. And eventually your brain's like, oh, I didn't die. Okay. Might as well try it again. Oh, my gosh. Okay, that is, like... So- I've heard this quote, everything you want is on the other side of embarrassing the fuck out of yourself. And I think that is so true. I have never not been embarrassed for myself. (laughs) Never, ever, ever. Yeah, but you get used to it eventually, right? True. But also we're entertainers. Yeah, you're still putting content out, though. So there must be some piece of you that has... uh, can look past your own cringy feelings enough to be successful. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Because it's like, okay, how much do I love this and how much am I so embarrassed? 
And sometimes the love outweighs being embarrassing. But that's just being a theater kid, I guess. I, think so. <laughs> I also think it helps when you're focused on other people, too. Like, I really made my focus of my entire time in pageants. Like, okay, if I did ever win, though, uh-huh. what would that mean to the girl who's struggling with a drug addiction right now or drug mm-hmm. abuse or just got out of psych ward? Like, all these things, like, they're feeling so ashamed because I, I know that because I felt so ashamed. Of course. So it's like if all these people out there are dealing with the same shame that I'm dealing with and mm-hmm. I talk about it, yeah, it's embarrassing for me, but it makes all of them feel more comfortable. So first off, Tell me about, so we talked about dealing with rejection in the pageant space, but tell me about year seven when you had your like amazing victory and it was just like such a compelling story. Tell me about it. I mean, it definitely changed my whole life for sure. I don't think it changed my life that night. I don't think Mm -hmm. I had any idea how much it would change my life. Right. Because I think when you, like this is going to sound depressing, but when you pursue something for so long and then you finally get it, Mm -hmm. it's not, it doesn't always feel as good as you think it will feel. I don't know if you've ever had that happen. Where you're like, I like say you like, I want this guy or whatever, mm-hmm. and then you date him, and you're like, why did I like him? <laughs> you know, it's, I mean, that's just sort of the example mm-hmm. for like sometimes things are better when you're wanting it than when mm-hmm. you have it. And I remember like later the night I was crowned, I was like, I worked seven years for this, <laughs> not knowing what it would become. And like over time, I ended up meeting so many people through mm-hmm. that through that rain, and th- that's what they call it, the rain, the rain, the rain. <laughs> Um, I met so many people that were like like me. Like I met uh-huh. so many people that were struggling with their mental health or who had been through um, the same things that I did. A lot of queer people, a lot of bisexual women, mm-hmm. women that had never come out to anyone before came out to me. Like people messaged me like, you're the first person I've told this. And I got hundreds of those messages. That's amazing. And that changed my life. That was like the first time I actually felt like I was not alone, like for real. And I like, I'm going to cry. My whole <laughs> life before that, I really felt like. It's just me out here. Like, nobody gets, like, my unique situation. And I realized, like, that's actually really narcissistic. There's lots of people out there. <laughs> no, <laughs> no but, like, living... it was the first time I really didn't feel alone in the world. I love that for you. That's so amazing. So did you meet these people that really made you feel connected in the pageant? Or was this just social media or other people that, like, found you after you won? So a lot of it started through social media. And mm-hmm. then I also was crowned right when COVID happened. So I was expecting to be, like, again, I think I was expecting, like, all this momentum and, like, mm-hmm. red carpets. And mm-hmm. none of that happened. Everything was closed. All my appearances were canceled. So I started, at the time it was called the IMY Project. Now it's called Feelings for Human. So mm-hmm. it was, at the time, a four-week workshop um, mm-hmm. where I brought a bunch of people that were followers in that wanted to work with me. And really gave them a chance to share their stories and, like, work through some of the things they were struggling with. Mm-hmm. And then that evolved into a six-week program and then an eight-week program. And then it ended up ending with an eight-week program and a retreat. And um, it allowed me to meet all of these people in a really deep and personal way. Like, rather than it just being, like, a message here, which is still mm-hmm. meaningful. But, like, I really got to know everybody else's story. And I think that yeah. was, like I said, what really changed my life. Like, it wasn't about me anymore. I realized that, like, what I represented to people was more important to than to, like, what I had just been through. Oh, my word. It's like when the Barbie that you finally see yourself comes out. Like, that's exactly what this is. It's such a huge step for so many people with a similar background to you. It is so incredible to look at Miss USA. There are probably millions of little girls in America right now that look up to and go, oh, Miss USA? There's a Miss USA who's like me. And to me, that's so, so exciting. And I'm sure you have felt this so many times over the years. And that's just truly inspirational to me. Yeah. I mean, I was so like my deepest self-loathing and my deepest shame came from my mental health issues. Like Mm -hmm. I was like, I'm fucked. (laughs) I'm crazy. (laughs) Like it was really bad Mm -hmm. for a long time. Like it's finally at a place where it's actually like really manageable and good. But for a long time, it wasn't. And you would see people like Miss USA and you'd be like, well, she's so perfect. Like, oh, yeah. There's no way she she would never have gone through this. She would have never struggled with this. And I think. 
that just I'm gonna hide my sharpie hand. <laughs> but I just I don't know. It made me feel like I w- there was something even more defective about me because right. I'm like I'll never be like that. Like I'll uh-huh. always be this weird, broken. Like I had all these labels for myself at the time. Yeah. And I think like me becoming that person made me realize like oh wait no like no matter what you've been through, no matter uh-huh. no matter what you've done, even if it's the most embarrassing, shameful, fucked up thing you could have ever done, like that's mm-hmm. not the end for you as long as you're willing to like let that part of you die. Like I let the piece of myself that totally hated myself disappear. And now it's like sometimes I hate myself. But, I mean it'd be it'd be lying to say I don't, uh-huh. but that's not like who I am all the time. Like I love myself genuinely now. And I think if you're willing to forgive yourself for wherever you've been, like you can leave that person behind in the past. Wow. Okay, so I think we're about to wrap up here, but what are some um pieces of advice that you wish you could have told yourself? you know, eight years ago? Honestly, I wish, like, something I've been realizing a lot lately, like, this year especially, is, like, you'll become the person that you're meant to be when you're done healing, so don't rush the process of healing. Because I, I've i always been hard on myself. I've always been like, you need to be perfect. You need to be, like, uh, even now I'm like, I should be a billionaire right now. <laughs> like, ridiculous <laughs> expectations that come from nowhere. Oh, my gosh, yes. But, like, I, I didn't have the capacity. Like, right now, like, I'm going to further my education right now. If you had oh, asked amazing. me if I was going to, if I even could consider myself capable of that, like, mm-hmm. three years ago, even two years ago, I would have been like, no, that's for other people. But, yeah. like, my brain is finally regulated enough that I'm like, oh, yeah, I can do that easy. But if it's hard, it's hard for a reason. It means you need rest. It means you need to work on healing whatever it is that's making it difficult. So instead of trying to get to this version of yourself that you finally are going to be okay with loving, just loving the version you're at now and letting Mm -hmm. it be totally okay if you're doing nothing and if you're resting and if you feel lazy. Like all of those things I used to judge myself for were like a perfect part of the process to me actually being a more capable and efficient person. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. That is such amazing advice. And I think a lot of people can take that, put it in their pocket, save it for a rainy day. It's so important to be kind to ourselves. Also, the last thing I'll say is I have spent more days in bed than most humans. (laughs) I have spent so many days in bed, like unable to get out of bed, so tired, so depressed, whatever. It hasn't stopped me from winning Miss Utah, giving a TED Talk, like having a great career. So if you are in a period where you feel lazy, just know that like that doesn't define you at all. You can actually sleep plenty and still (laughs) end up achieving what you want to in your life. Especially when maybe you're not so in control of why you're laying in bed. 100%. That's huge. And yeah. I, I can feel that as somebody who goes hard and crashes. I feel so guilty about my crash days. Mm-hmm. You're like, why are you tired? It's tired because you're tired for a reason. But if I can be like Miss Rachel here, then I don't feel too bad. <laughs> <laughs> it's been so fun to have you, and I'm so grateful you took the time. You are <laughs> such a fantastic person. Thank you. Where can we find you? Um, I'm on Instagram at Salty Rachel and on TikTok at Salty Rachel Official. Amazing. So um, go follow her. Go watch her TED Talk because that is something that just like could be pretty life changing for a lot of you watching this. I know it was huge for me to watch. I love, love, loved it. Um, Yeah. And I just appreciate you. So thank you so much, everybody, for watching and have a good one. Bye.